I want to read the Bible, but it's hard to understand. Even the stories Jesus tells, they seem easy enough, but I don't understand. I know some of my friends wonder why I read the Bible. You're not going to read something or talk to someone you don't think you need. So that's a big one, right? It's like, I'm God, I'm king, I don't need God, or I don't need, you know, we make those assumptions. I think we don't understand the nature and character of God and how he loves us and how his kindness draws us to repentance. Why we should be reading the Bible. So when I first devoted all my life to Christ, I had this sudden urge where I just wanted to know everything out there was to know about Jesus, all about God's character and, you know, all the stories in the Bible. And there was just this huge hunger for me to know about it. Welcome to the Airzats Coffee Shop. This is Jay the Truth Barista, and I'm serving up a steaming cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch us on our website at thetruthbarista.com, and we're going to talk about culture, current events, personal questions, quandaries, even faith in light of God's truth. Jay, I just love a good story. I, I think everybody really loves a good story. And when I read the Bible, I, I read a lot of stories, especially by Jesus, except some of them are really hard to understand. Take, for example, the parable of the sower. That just seems to be kind of difficult for me. It can be. Parables are really interesting things, they're interesting stories. They're actually more than just stories. Larry, they were actually a way of teaching that many rabbis in the first century used because they were very effective. Why? Because even a kid can understand an object lesson. So for example, many people say, well, love is like a wheel, okay? In a sense that what goes around comes around. What you invest into your friend or into your spouse comes back to you as this wheel rolls along, you know, things like that. Or Jesus is the head of the church and loves the church and gives himself up for him. That's a picture, you know, reflected in a husband and a wife. Okay, so what Jesus did is he often taught in parables in order to teach a spiritual truth. These object lessons were phenomenal because they were real-life illustrations. People understood them. You could teach in shorthand because what you would simply say with one picture, everybody else's minds would fill in. And suddenly this teaching would explode in their minds and come alive and it would be just almost indelibly imprinted. This is why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and others could record Jesus's parables many years after he initially spoke them because it just they burned themselves into the mind. Well, it's a little like movies today, right, Jay? I mean, I, exactly. I think I love a good movie. Everyone loves a good movie. And, and oftentimes movies do have a parable or a lesson in them. Some of them, some of them are trash, of course. But I mean, <laughs> exactly. still, we like movies because they tell a story and it, it brings us to a point. Exactly. You know, a popular example, if you look at the movies, The Matrix. The Matrix has a very strong messianic theme to it. In fact, you can almost see a gospel message floating through it. Now, you have to get through a lot of action to see it. But it's for those who are spiritually tuned in to God and who know a bit more about Jesus in the gospel, these elements start popping out. Another good one. One of my favorite movies, probably seen it about 38 million times, and I don't like to exaggerate. I tell my kids, you know, I've told them a million times, don't exaggerate. Anyway, the movie Dune, written by, you know, the book written by Frank Herbert, Messianic. So if you watch that movie, you see a classic gospel story in there of the Messiah that is to come. Anyway, in this particular parable, people call it the parable of the sower. But what we have to understand when you approach a parable or a story like this in the Bible, parables have one point, and that's what's most important. You can't take every little element in a parable and say, this means this, and this means this, and this means this, because it can get you off the point. 
What you have to do is, okay, here are the elements. What is the point getting at? And it's usually the thing that changes in the parable that's the point. Or it could be the thing that the spotlight hits. Now, in this one, Jesus is saying, a sower went out to sow. And by the way, I've got my Bible with me here. If you happen to have a Bible or a digital Bible with you on your phone or pad or whatever like that, go ahead and pull it out. But it's Matthew 13 is what we're talking about. It's called the parable of the sower, but it's actually misnamed, Larry. Did you know that? You know, I really didn't. I really thought all my life when I've heard this story told, it was not about the soil at all. It was really about the Word of God. Well, actually, that is one of the focal points, but the thing that it is, it is actually about the soils. And let me tell you why, because Jesus says in this one, this is a quick synopsis of this, okay? Jesus says, consider the sower who went out to sow. Now, everybody here has planted a garden at some time in their life, so they know this, okay? So you have a sower, and he sows some seed. Okay, he throws the seed out, and it hits the path. Okay, what happens? It doesn't take root. Birds come by, take up the seed, and they go. He throws out the sower along some rocky ground. There's not much soil, so the seeds spring up quickly. The soil wasn't deep. When the sun comes up and the heat increases, they fry and die. Okay, the next one, he throws some seed out, and it's in some pretty good soil, but there's also a lot of weeds seeds in there. So as the growing season progresses, these thorns and things come up and choke out the plants that are growing, and it's unproductive. Finally, you get to the fourth one, and it's good soil, no weeds, good depth, nice and rich and wet and moist, and they throw the seed in there, and it comes out, and it gives you a hundredfold production. Now, The thing that changes in here is the soil type. That's what makes the seed produce or not produce. Now, this is kind of a gimme parable because later on in the chapter, Jesus, his disciples come up to him and say, okay, Jesus, we're we're struggling a little bit about this one. Could you tell us what it's all about? And Jesus says, okay, this is why I tell the parables. Before he gets to the explanation, he says this, and this kind of is surprising. He says, I tell parables because it puts people into two groups. Those who are spiritually tuned in, they get it. They get the point behind the parable. Those who are not spiritually tuned in miss it. They kind of stay at the surface in the pictures. And that is really true, Larry, because you and I both have kind of a, as we've talked over the years over the counter here, that's our testimony. Before we came to know the Lord, you've shared it. I'll share it with the listeners now. I would read the Bible. Great storybook. Has some nice poetry in there. Didn't really get much of it or whatever. But when suddenly I was a junior in high school, and I really asked the Lord to enter into my life and to change me, the first thing that happened, Larry, the first thing that happened is that book blew open. And they told me, the people who were discipling me, they said, read a gospel, read some of the Proverbs, read the Psalms, because the Psalms are very emotional. I get that. Proverbs has a lot of wisdom in it, and I've always liked catchy phrases. And then the Gospels, that's the story of Jesus told from four different points of view. So I started going through, and I started underlining with a flare pen, yes, I'm old enough to remember a flare pen. Okay. Uh, So I started underlining everything in the Proverbs and Psalms and Gospels that spoke to me. I kid you not, that Bible today, almost everything in those four sections or in the four Gospels underlined. Well, I was similar to that story, Jay, except when I grew up, I grew up in a religion that told me there was a God, period. So there wasn't really much about God other than he existed. Mm -hmm. So just sort of a nebulous creator, powerful being out there. But when I got saved, like yourself, the word of God became real. And all of a sudden, I saw God as a person in those words. 
And that's what really changed my life. And I had never read the Bible before that time. And as I read it, I went, man, this thing really has some some zip and some power to it. It really fed something in me that had never been fed before. Well, let's put it in, in some theological terms. When you are born again, you're really transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, according to the Bible, residing in you. Well, we also know that the prophets and others who wrote the scriptures were inspired by what? The Holy Spirit. So when I become spiritually born again, now I start reading a text that was written and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Of course, there's going to be a resonance between the two. If you are not born again and you start reading a book that's written by the Spirit, you're not seeing it in the Spirit level. You're seeing it in a material, everyday life level. So this is really what the parables do. They put a spiritual truth in a way that you can understand it, but you have to have the right condition, so to speak, spiritually tuned in to get the point. And I love that concept, Jay, because in today's world, there's a lot of gospel going out, right? There's a lot of preachers, a lot of radio, TV shows, a lot of churches, but it's the receptability of the person's heart that is really lacking in our society. I've often heard preachers and others talk about that. We are in a very gospel, Bible-saturated society. Now, there are some who haven't heard and we need to get the word out. That's true. But you're right. It's the heart condition, and that's the point of the parable. So when the disciples came back to Jesus later in chapter 13 says, okay, Jesus explained to us what this means. Jesus says, this is what it means. The sower is God. The seed is his word. So he's throwing his seed out, this word out. He's getting the message out all over the place. First time the message falls on, the seed falls on a hard path. What's that? That is a person who is dead, spiritually dead, totally unresponsive to God. And the word just kind of hits them, bounces off their head, and lands right there, and nothing happens with it. And then all of a sudden, it says birds come along and eat it. Well, is that Satan taking away the truth? No, it's just a way of saying they forget, and they just go on their way. The word is lost. They forget it. Sadly, there are some Christians, there are people that go to church that are exactly like this. We call them Mr. Hardpath, okay? Then you have Rocky. Now, this is what's great. Larry, you've been to Israel, right? I have, yes. Okay, what's fun is when you get to Israel, you actually see the context that Jesus is talking about. And many places in Israel has hard limestone foundation rock with just a thin layer of soil over the top of it. So you throw seed out there, yeah, it's hot, so the seed's going to germinate. When it gets wet with the dew, it's going to germinate. But the problem is those young plants will grow up really fast, but Israel gets really hot, especially from spring to fall. Those little plants dry up and die up real fast, okay? So who is this person? Jesus is saying these are the people who receive the word with joy. In other words, they kind of get it, right? And they spring up, but he goes, but then comes persecution, People start picking on them. And we get that kind of persecution, don't you? Oh, really? You believe the Bible says Mm. that about same-sex relationships? Really? You believe the Bible says that about that? You you really buy into that sin thing? And persecution arises, and many Christians will go, you know, this is just a little bit too much for me to handle right now. And they kind of die on the vine, and they just kind of drift. One thing about Israel, Jay, is that God, I'm convinced of this, God loves rocks. Okay, because he created so many of them in his land. It was all rocks. That's right. I mean, that's a great point. People quickly gravitate to ideas, but it's the perseverance in that idea that really makes that idea come alive. Right. So the first person, you could say in Bible terms, is the unsaved, unborn again, not spiritually tuned in. They're spiritually dead. The second person is somebody who's spiritually alive, but immature. 
and they fall away quickly. And this is where they really, you know, the church, the more mature people in the church really need to come alongside these new believers, especially if they're in college. I hate to say it, in somewhat hostile environments. They need to come around them to encourage them. Now, the third person is kind of fascinating because that word goes out, it hits the ground, and it starts to grow, which tells us this is not a spiritually dead person. This is a spiritually alive person. Now, they're a little bit more mature. The plants mature a little bit more. But something else happens, Larry. What goes on in that particular person's life? Well, there's too many conflicting ideas or desires or the things around them become a little bit more important than they should be. That's right. He describes it as thorns. Now, thorns are worthless things. And uh, sad to say, I have too many of those in my garden. In fact, last year, it was pretty awesome. I was doing really well on my garden last year, but then I kind of let things slide for a while. I came out there and there was a crabgrass spread out there that was about two and a half feet wide. And it was just one plant. And it was fun because it was like, okay, time to weed the garden. <laughs> done because it was one plant. But that's what happens in life. The cares of life, the concerns of life, these things such as money, wealth, power, all sorts of things can come in and choke out God's word in your life. And there's two sides of this. Number one, Jesus says, and the cares, the concerns, and the stress, that's a pain side. Think about that. And then he says, the delight in riches that's a pleasure side. So there are negative things in our lives that can choke out God's word. And there are even good things in our life or pleasurable things in our life that cut out God's word. Playing video games, watching TV, doing things you know that are pleasing to you, but you don't have time for the word. In fact, Keith Green had a great song. You can find it on YouTube talking about you love the world, but you're avoiding me is the kicker in the song. You enjoy the light of your TV. You love the world. You're avoiding me. You know, sometimes the time we spend in the Bible really shows where our heart is at. Okay, so that's thorny. Okay, so you have Mr. Hardpath, you have Rocky, you have Thorny. Now you have Mr. Good Ground or Miss Good Ground, okay? So tell me about that one, Larry. What do you think? You well, I think that it's people who are humble in heart and mind and are willing to take a risk on believing on the things of God. So they're open. So when this seed comes, they're willing to invest in it. Exactly. That's what it is. Actually, you can get good ground on a new Christian too. But these are soft-hearted people. These are people who are responsive to God. They're warm to God because good soil is warm. It's moist. It's rich. And when that seed gets in there, the seed finds a ready vessel to start growing and maturing right away. And what's the natural end result of either a vegetable or a fruit tree? It's produce. We are expected when God's word hits our heart to produce the things of God's kingdom, his character, his works. Let's face it, if God were in the flesh, in our flesh, we should be doing the things that God would be doing. We should be saying the things that God would be saying. We would be loving. In fact, you go to Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I think I missed one in there. It could be kindness. But these are the character traits. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. These are called the fruit of the Spirit. These are things that we should be producing more and more as we 
take God's word into our life and let it grow and develop within us. I have a quick question, and we'll probably have to do a program on all of this, but my question is, it produces fruit. Now, what about the fruit of turning over tables in the temple? I mean, it always seems to me, Jay, that we always get this soft approach to the gospel, as if to say, walk on me, I'm good and flat, and it's okay to use me, and I'm never going to speak up or push back. Exactly. Well, we have to remember two things. A lot of that comes from a misconception of God. And we talk in the Old Testament, you know, as I've talked to Christians over the years, especially immature Christians, they say, well, you know, there's this God of the Old Testament who's angry and he's huge and he's an old guy and he's got this big club, long beard, muscles. And if I don't do things his way, he's going to come down and he's going to smite at me. And then, That's very good. You should do theater. Thank you. <laughs> I'll thank you. I'll thank you very much. And then you get to the New Testament, and in the New Testament, you have gentle, loving Jesus. And he comes off, he comes off a little bit more like droopy dog. And he just, I just want people to love each Amen. other, and that's about that. But that's not what the Bible is, because in the Old Testament, God said through the prophet Isaiah to his people Israel, he goes, I am like a, a mother who has a nursing child. Am I ever going to forget you? I have inscribed you. I've I've cut lines into my palms of my hands for you, to remember you, to embrace you. The God of the Old Testament is a God of love too. Then you go to the New Testament and you see Jesus overturning tables. In Revelation, you see Jesus coming back and he's going to deal with the enemies who are standing against the kingdom. So God is a God of love and judgment in the Old Testament. God is a God of love and judgment in the New Testament. What we can be sure of is it's always right judgment. It never goes over the top. It never comes too short. It only deals with the particular issue. Now, what about Christians? Well, we talked about this in the judgment episode. We are expected to make good judgments. And there comes a time in life when Christians who do walk in love also have to walk in a balance of truth and you have to stand up for truth. If there is racism going on out there, we have to stand up against it. Because all people are created equally in the sight of God. And there are times when we do need to stand up to a society that might have a racist action or a racist incident and say, that is wrong. Why? Not because I feel it's wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. God says it's wrong. If there is injustice out there, Christians do need to stand up, and sometimes forcibly and loudly, because God is a God of justice. On the flip side, there comes a point when Christians do have to come in and minister love and grace because that is also God. I I appreciate you clarifying that. That's very important because there is a balance. Exactly. Now let's come back to the soil, this this shotgun effect, right? Mm -hmm. That the seed goes out and depending on where it lands, how do we judge our own hearts? Well, we can judge our own hearts. I would come down personally. This is how I would do mine. How responsive am I to God today? How responsive am I to God on a day-to-day basis, on a weekly basis? How have I done over the last year? There are times when, I got to tell you, Larry, just walking through life, it's like tamping down the soil of my heart. And sometimes things get overwhelming like the thorns. Sometimes I come under pressure like number two, Rocky. Other times it seems like I'm just as dead to the Lord as the hard path guy. Well, one of the minor prophets, not because he's lesser or insignificant, it's just he's written smaller amounts of scripture, said, it is time to break up your fallow ground. There are times when 
What? What's fallow ground? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I'm a child of the 60s. That's right. You're right. I have never heard of fallow ground. Well, I lived for a time. I, I grew up in the suburbs, and I've lived in the city, and I've lived down uh, in the rural areas for about six years. And I watched the agricultural cycle. And every spring, after the snows have gone, all that soil that had been turned over actually settles down and hardens. And the first thing the farmer has to do before he plants, he has to run the tractor out there and tie up all of that dirt and break it up so it's extremely fine okay so what we have to do in our lives is we can't wait for god to do it for us that's our responsibility god says to us you break up your fallow ground well what does that mean start reading the bible listen to some christian music talk to god find something that inspires you and lifts you up and opens you up and and really pushes you to to embrace God more deeply. Talk to other Christians about God. Get excited. Pray for somebody and watch them get healed. I'll tell you what, that's going to break up your fallow ground when you see God start moving in power. And that's happened to me as well. So that's how I would say it is. How responsive are you to God? Now, if you're Mr. Hardpath today, you can understand God came to help you break up the fallow ground. He does it through the action of his Holy Spirit. You just say to him, I need some help. I need you to save me. I need you to bring me spiritually alive, Lord. If you're rocky, okay, Lord, help me grow. Help me to get more depth in my life spiritually. If you're thorny, Lord, help me to separate between those things that are important, you and your word, and those things that aren't important, TV, time wasters, things like that, surfing the internet for hours on end, that kind of thing. Or if you happen to be in a good place, great. Continue on and encourage somebody else to do that. Keep reading your Bible. One of the things I always tell people is read your Bible as much as you can, as often as you can. Do I always do it? Not perfectly. But last year, I went through the Bible three times as a discipline. This year, I'm on my first time through. And every time I go through, the Holy Spirit brings something new out to me. If you don't get a lot of joy out of becoming a self-starter, Jay, I would suggest get into a Bible study. Get into a group of guys or gals, depending on uh, what gender you are. And oftentimes, discussion about a theme Mm -hmm. or personal experiences related to the Bible and what the Bible says about it will spark an interest and inspiration in you. Mm -hmm. Here at the Erzatz Cafe, we have these informal Bible studies all the time. I know a pastor who holds an Old Testament Bible study for a year, every Monday night, two hours a night, and the class loves going through the first five books. Go figure. So yeah, I'd encourage that too. Find a Bible study with mature Christians and immature Christians of all ages, whatever. Just attack it. Make your Bible study a full contact sport. That makes it fun. Hey, thanks for stopping by the Airzats Coffee Shop. You've been listening to me, Jay, the Truth Barista. Come to the website, truthbarista.com. You can stream from the site, so be sure to bookmark it. And we have a plethora of resources to be found. Don't forget the tip jar. Click on it to keep the podcast perking. There's also an email link for your comments, suggestions about topics, puzzling Bible verses, and even spiritual questions. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista. Mm-hmm.